I'm Sam Hutchinson, partner in Cadwallader's Fund Finance Practice, and thank you for joining us for this edition of Fund Finance Friday Industry Conversations. I'm delighted to be joined today by Kiza Ahmed of Hedgewood Capital Partners. Kiza, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Sam. Thank you very much for having me on. Awesome. So we are experiencing a really busy Q1 in the fund finance industry, and I'd be really interested to understand your role, the the background to Hedgewood Capital Partners, and I guess your involvement in the fund finance business. Of course. Um, so the idea for Hedgewood Capital Partners, which is a fund finance advisory firm, it really came from um, my experience as a principal lender in the fund finance space. I found throughout kind of the sort of middle of the last decade, um, as we were working with clients on fund finance transactions, the experience seemed to be that uh, we were saying uh, no to clients. Uh, a lot of the times we were pushing back on the types of transactions and solutions that they were bringing to the table. And uh, I started thinking about what those clients might want to do or who would perhaps be able to help them after they'd been told no by a lender like, like me or anyone else in the marketplace. So the genesis for an advisory business that could actually work with clients with respect to helping them meet their fund finance requirements was really born out of that, uh, that experience I was increasingly having. Um, insofar as the business, uh, I guess my background, um, uh, let's start there. Um, so uh, fund-linked structured products is really where I've specialized uh, for about 15 years across uh, multiple investment banks and uh, latterly for about uh, seven years at UBS in London and in New York where I was a, effectively a principal lender in, in the fund finance business and had experience with a wide range of uh, alternative uh, private capital funds. Now at Hedgewood Capital Partners uh, and, and working as a fund finance advisor, I am bringing this experience really to the benefit of borrowers in this space in order to help them better navigate the lender side uh, of this market. You mentioned, Kiza, that in your previous roles, you had to say no a number of times to, I guess, structures and, and concepts that were being put to you. Can we talk a little bit about the, the types of services that, that you provide? I'm guessing from your previous comment that it's a combination of sort of fund finance products and, and perhaps on the NAV side as well. Correct. So Hedgewood Capital is, is a pure play advisory business. Uh, we work with our clients, primarily uh, borrowers in the private fund space, uh, in helping them meet their fund finance requirements. So if you look at the kinds of services that we provide, uh, they extend all the way from the very start of a conversation about fund finance solutions with some clients, all the way out to helping them execute and then provide after-sales services. So things like crafting, helping clients craft marketing messages, uh, approaching lenders, potentially selling them a transaction if it's a particularly complex or a challenging deal, uh, sourcing terms from multiple lenders, uh, generating competition amongst those lenders in order to procure best terms uh, for the clients, helping clients review transaction documentation from a commercial perspective, if you will, 
and then ultimately helping them execute those transactions in an efficient manner. Then in post-sales, we continue to monitor market developments on behalf of our clients. We help them manage the facility on an ongoing basis, uh, including driving through amendments uh, when required. So really, it is the entire gamut of the value chain, if you will, associated with fund finance transactions, really from cradle to grave, uh, for lack of a, a better way of putting it. Got it. And you'll know that there have been a fair number of advisors coming into our market over the past, I would say, five years. I think we're still at a stage where we are pretty light on the advisor side in our market, certainly compared to other financial markets. It'd be interesting to to hear from you how you think your service differentiates from perhaps other advisors in the market also focusing on fund finance services. That's a very good question. Let me try and answer that on two levels, Sam. So on the first level, if one is just looking at uh, a comparison across different advisors, I think Hedgewood probably has two or three features that I would believe differentiates us from the majority uh, of our competition. So having a structuring background at leading investment banks and leading players in the fund finance space and having executed fund finance deals um, as a principal lender, I think that gives us a unique perspective and experience. Um, you know, in our in our previous jobs, we've dealt directly with uh, credit risk, with market risk, treasury, uh, the trading desk, with tax advisors, lawyers. Uh, you know, when putting together these transactions uh, for our clients. Now, bringing that live experience of actually having gone through uh, those transactions to to help clients as we do now in the advisory business. I think that gives us a little bit of uh, an edge uh, when it comes to comparison with with the majority of our competitors. I think another feature of our business uh, is the coverage of both the US and European markets, particularly on the lender side. I think that is um, uh, clearly beneficial because it gives us a broader uh, network uh, to uh, tap uh, in relation to a particular transaction. And then along the same lines, one of the, the key features of our network is the existing and the growing footprint of non-bank lenders, which again provides a, a distinct choice to our clients that uh, perhaps otherwise they would not have. So, so that's the kind of, if one compares us to other fund finance advisors. On another level, you know, one might say, look, lawyers and accountants, you know, well-connected uh, lawyers like yourselves, uh, you've been helping your clients think through their fund finance needs and have always been very good at putting them in touch with lenders for many, many years. So, you know, if one focuses on the fund finance advisory business purely as a search engine, if you will, then perhaps there isn't a huge amount of value that we'd add per se. But what a specialist advisor like Hedgewood can uh, do is to actually formalize this process and monetize it for the benefit of our clients. So what, what do I mean by that? Um, you know, we help our clients, we help our, our clients use our experience, help them understand uh, and formulate what their demands are, ensuring that they understand the art of the possible, so to say. We then reach out to the market, we prepare all the market outreach materials, we craft the message to potential lenders, you know, working our network to identify suitable lenders, 
um, haggle with them in the nicest possible way in order to seek uh, the most attractive terms for our clients, providing an extra pair of eyes for our clients to make sure that the transaction terms are attractive, uh, help resolve problems that arise when executing deals, monitor markets for developments, make sure the clients react proactively to any stress situations that emerge uh, and service the facilities on an ongoing basis. So in, in a nutshell, we kind of formalize the process. We give the clients the option to say, look, let's just outsource this entire fund finance procurement and management process to an expert outsource provider and let's gain a saving of time and money uh, with respect to uh, looking at our fund funds needs. So that's kind of, that. that's where we think that we've um, managed to, as, as an industry, I guess, managed to formalize that process of dealing with uh, fund finance requirements that clients have. Let me pick up, Kiza, on one of the things you mentioned there, which is around the, the increase in alternative lenders' interest in this space. It's it's something we've been observing, and we absolutely anticipate seeing more of that activity coming into the market. And you mentioned it, and I think it's really interesting that you've seen that as an advisor as well. It would be interested to get your thoughts and your perspectives on where you see alternative lenders fitting into the fund finance industry. Is it just on the higher return NAV transactions? Do you see them potentially coming in leading deals we have already seen that in our experience in the last quarter would be really interested to get your thoughts on that so that's a very interesting trend that we have seen right from in fact uh, even before we set up the advisory business and in many ways i think that this trend will continue in uh, well into the future so insofar as the involvement of non-bank lenders is concerned you know depending on the type of lender one is looking at uh, we're all aware of the existence of dedicated uh, fund management businesses that have institutional clients like insurance companies, um, pension funds as their investors. And those funds, uh, the dedicated fund management businesses, the funds themselves, they provide a, a full suite of uh, both credit and preferred equity solutions uh, when it comes to fund finance transactions uh, across private equity and private debt. Uh, so that particular segment exists. Beyond that, we've seen the end investor, if you will. So we are thinking about insurance companies and potentially pension funds, some um, university foundations. Um, they're definitely getting in more and more involved and interested in these transactions. I think it's uh, the, the take-up has been good in terms of them registering their own interest in this space. Uh, obviously, some of them are more advanced in terms of their uh, engagement with the market. Uh, there are notable names out there that have executed a number of uh, NAV-based um, lending transactions with PE secondaries funds, for instance, I'm aware of some insurance companies that have actually provided uh, management company financing, some GP financing, uh, again, in the private equity space. We've worked on some mandates where insurance companies have provided asset-backed financing to private credit funds, for instance. Um, so there are clearly players who are more advanced in terms of their uh, acceptance of an engagement with this particular space and others who are going through that process of getting comfortable with the range of counterparties as well as the types of transactions that they potentially would like to engage in. But 
certainly in the NAB-based or in the asset-backed space, there seems to be a lot more interest as compared to the capital call space. And I think for institutional investors, capital call space, just because of, um, I guess there are two main factors why institutional investors have found that space a little bit difficult to crack, at least at this relatively early stage. Uh, the first one is the economics uh, associated with those transactions. When um, generally those transactions are not as remunerative from a lender's perspective um, as the NAV base or the asset-backed ones. Uh, and that clearly is a challenge for uh, institutional investors who are looking to uh, make a material uh, impact on, on the returns that they're generating on the asset side of their balance sheets. And the other reason is the operational infrastructure that a capital call provider, for instance, needs to have in order to be able to run that business efficiently. Uh, so most institutional investors do not yet have the operational setup to be able to handle multiple calls on, on, on the credit lines that they may provide pursuant to a capital call transaction. And I think that's one where they feel a lot more comfortable partnering up with the more traditional lenders like the banks who obviously have their operational setup. So, so I think in due course, these two challenges will be met. And undoubtedly, there are notable examples of um, uh, some instances where uh, some providers, some uh, institutional investors have definitely addressed these uh, challenges. Uh, but perhaps there is a little bit more work to be done here. On the NAV and the asset-backed side, for sure, I think there's a lot more activity going on. And I, I, I fully expect that to continue um, as, as the market develops over the coming years. I completely agree with that. And I think that the nature, the composition of the NAV deals that we're doing is, is so diverse, you know, from very, very concentrated, you know, single asset trades to... You know, the secondary market, secondary financing market is back up and running again. So there's a huge spectrum of different types of NAV facilities. And, and I guess just on that, when you're looking at a potential transaction for a client, um, particularly on the NAV side, as I think we're all pretty accustomed to what lenders are looking for on the capital calls side, but on the NAV side, what, what sorts of things are you looking for in terms of features of the, the trade that would sort of match particular lenders' requirements in the markets? So in, in many ways, I guess, just like with any lending transaction or any uh, market in which lending is, is, uh, is uh, prevalent, you know, there's certain common considerations that will always apply and that applies as much to the fund finance lending market. So things like the quality and the reputation of the borrower and, and the composition of the collateral pool, uh, the robustness of security arrangements uh, with respect to the collateral uh, sensible loan to values, um, well-articulated use of proceeds, um, and the extent of diversification in the collateral pool, uh, perhaps low correlation between the performance of the borrower and the underlying collateral uh, assets. So all of these are features that any lender would look at, and, and the fund finance space is no different. Um, when it looks, when it comes to, uh, and when one looks at uh, the NAV-based space, then clearly, the collateral, the quality of the collateral, its identity, um, the ability of the lender to evaluate uh, those particular assets, um, the secondary market saleability, if you will, of those assets. I think those are important considerations in the PE space. If one looking at one is looking at a NAV based uh, 
financing transaction, then perhaps you know exposure to certain sectors uh, like venture capital or early stage growth or uh, exposure to the, the less developed market, emerging markets, if you will. Uh, they generally have to be at a lower level for most lenders to feel comfortable with that type of transaction from a risk perspective. I think you know it's well known that most uh, lenders feel comfortable lending to LBO funds or to secondaries funds where there's uh, tons of diversification at the underlying level and perhaps uh, a, a higher degree of familiarity with uh, the strategy itself. In the uh, you know, private debt space, for instance, you you know I think LTVs can drop fairly dramatically if uh, the proportion of second lien or junior debt is is higher than a certain percentage, or if uh, the, the leverage at the underlying uh, company level, or the underlying asset level is, is higher than figures that uh, lenders would feel comfortable with. So so there are kind of specifics both in the private equity private debt space that naturally, in many ways. Um, direct the transaction to particular constituencies of lenders who perhaps have the the risk appetite and the ability to deal with the unique uh, situation uh, under under consideration. Uh, And I think one of the roles of an advisor like Hedgewood is to actually help borrowers cut to the chase, so to say, and to try and get them speaking with the right types of lenders uh, who can deal with those unique challenges and to make sure that they can uh, both work together in order to efficiently structure and execute a particular transaction. You formed Hedgewood, I, I think, a few months after the onset of the, the pandemic. In that time, how have you seen lender appetite for the different types of transactions within the fund finance industry uh, pan out during, I suppose, the, the last nine to, to 12 months. And we'll be interested to hear what sort of situations your products are solving for. Is it is it more on the offensive or, or defensive side, or has it been sort of a, a pretty um, broad spectrum of, of different types of scenarios? Let me answer the second question first. So it's actually been a combination of both. Um, and it's been interesting actually seeing uh, you quite rightly uh, pointed out, uh, I formed Hedgewood Capital Partners uh, in May of 2020. Um, so um, a couple of months after the start of the crisis, uh, obviously had done the advisory business elsewhere before that. Um, so I had a bit of experience of the business from the pre-crisis days. Um, and it was interesting that the the nature of the transactions, um, uh, it it it, it changed over the course of the crisis, or it has, and it's still evolving. Um, so at the start of the crisis, the first three or four months, there were a lot of conversations about uh, potentially defensively using NAV-based facilities in portfolios where people had um, concerns about the valuations and, and, and uh, perhaps uh, financing requirements at the underlying asset level. So we're talking about uh, perhaps concentrated NAV um, uh, portfolio facilities uh, in, in, in in portfolios where perhaps there were some problem children uh, by way of uh, underlying assets. So very defensive in nature. Uh, on the capital call side, in those early days, um, I think we saw a material shrinking back, if you will, of balance sheet commitment, uh, very much focused by lenders on their existing clients and ensuring that uh, existing client needs were evaluated and serviced much more than an attempt to um, aggressively build market share, for instance. Uh, pricing obviously increased across the board. 
uh, during that period of time. Uh, later on in the summer and then beginning of the fall, um, I think there was a lot more recognition, a lot more comfort with respect to uh, valuations at the underlying portfolio levels, underlying asset level, and therefore the desire for uh, defensive um, types of uh, financing solutions maybe um, receded a little bit and, and you had perhaps a little bit more by way of offense in order to, to capitalize on some opportunities that had arisen across uh, the, the investment uh, spectrum. So, so the, the demand ebbed and flowed and, and that you know, seems to make sense. Um, preferred equity solutions, obviously, I think there were a couple of notable transactions in the second half of last year, which were very much um, designed to, uh, to be dual purpose, if you will, providing both uh, defensive as well as um, offensive capital to borrowers um, or, to, or to underlying portfolios. Um, insofar as the landscape is concerned more generally, um, I think it continues to evolve. And, and I guess as advisors, we have to ensure that we keep on evolving our own service offering with it. There are some trends that have emerged over the last year, which have been very interesting, uh, at least to me as a as a as a participant in the, in this marketplace. Um, I think GPs, uh, for one, seem to be willing to engage with a broader network of lenders uh, than existing to their existing lending or banking relationships. Um, I think that's um, uh, a good trend. It obviously brings a lot more uh, lenders into play with respect to. Uh, the types of clients that they can work with. And of course, the advisory service can, can obviously be very useful in that context. Um, I think on the lender side, they're being a lot more discriminatory about um, whom they make their balance sheets available to uh, and the trend of focusing a lot more on their existing client base uh, remains uh, in intact and in place. Bank-based bank lenders uh, have generally been sticking more to mainstream types of transactions, uh, perhaps not being as, as adventurous in the types of transactions they look at or the types of collateral that they would ex, uh, accept when working on these deals. And of course, this is an opportunity for the non-bank lenders to, uh, to gather some market share. I think there is a greater disparity of terms between lenders, including pricing. So it is well worth uh, a borrower's while to actually search the market and to make sure that they can get attractive terms from a lender that is well aligned with respect to uh, their business requirements. I think traditional lenders have generally shortened somewhat the maturity of the transactions that they engage in um, on the lending side, um, perhaps you know, higher risk quotient, if you will, from their perspective, which has necessitated that. Uh, and that generates greater refinancing risk for borrowers. So Again, non-bank lenders, I mean, insurance companies, obviously have a much longer uh, maturity horizon uh, that they can work with, and that clearly is a, is a material advantage. Uh, and then due diligence and underwriting standards, I think they've become a lot more stringent uh, since the start of the crisis, as they should be. Uh, perhaps there is a perception that risk in the system remains somewhat elevated, uh, and that downside risk to the valuation of assets, or perhaps credit risk associated with all but the highest grade of institutional investors remains high, uh, and therefore lenders are taking their time uh, in diligencing uh, the portfolios and the transactions that they're um, taking on their books. Yeah, I think the ability to be flexible and innovative 
has been really important and brought into the spotlight over the last 12 months. And, and I think the, the reason for that is that there have been far less of the, the vanilla type situations, you know, far less of the, for example, highly diversified secondary financings than was previously the case. And I think, you know, we've certainly found that, that some lenders have found that challenging, but actually there are some lenders, including alternative lenders, but actually some on the bank side as well, who've really used this as an opportunity to, you know, to gain market share and to be able to demonstrate how flexible and innovative they can be with their structures. Um, Kiza, I just I want to switch to the, the LP side uh, as you're working so closely with the GPs, just to get a sense from you as to how, if at all, LPs' perceptions of uh, fund finance products generally may have changed during COVID. It certainly seemed, from our perspective, principally on the lending side, that there was a lot more information being given to investors and a lot more in the way of active dialogue regarding the different types of financing solutions that were available. Is that something you saw as well? Certainly when it comes to capital call facilities, uh, there's been a lot more dialogue. The the anecdotal evidence we have is that there is a lot more dialogue that has continued through the uh, end of the year and into, into 2021 with respect to uh, capital core lines with respect to the financing arrangements that funds have in place. Um, and that is only a positive because, um, you know, w- when we originally started the advisory business, I think one of the angles we were thinking of was also to actually uh, perhaps have LPs be more involved in the evaluation of the financing arrangements that funds have. Because as we've uh, seen, uh, when there is a market stress event of the type that we saw in, in the spring of 2020, then naturally that has an impact on, on the LP's positioning and their standing. And uh, so, so it is only right and fair that they should have a very good understanding of um, the, the arrangements that funds have in place and some of the, the risks associated with uh, the particular arrangements uh, that uh, each fund has signed up to. So, so I think on the capital call uh, line side, definitely the conversations seem to have increased and there's a lot more information that is flowing to the LPs. On the NAV-based facilities, I think to an extent, um, the, the NAV-based facilities, just given their relatively, I wouldn't say unique feature, but they're certainly not as commonplace capital call facilities, let's put it that way. So, so they are a fairly unique item in the ecosystem of a, uh, a fund that otherwise would rely on equity investment and then the capital call line facility. So when a, a GP engages in uh, a conversation with a lender about a NAV facility, for instance, or a preferred equity uh, transaction, I think one of the first things that certainly we as advisors would bring to their attention is the need for them to engage with their LPs and to make sure that they keep their LPs on side and on board with respect to uh, any decisions that they may uh, take uh, with respect to those particular uh, transactions. And by all accounts, um, the feedback we get from GPs is, yeah, LPs are aware of what we're planning and the kind of conversations we're having, We've articulated to them exactly why we feel that this particular facility will be accretive to the performance of the fund or you know, indeed uh, with respect to meeting 
any other objectives that uh, that they may have in the portfolio, uh, and indeed answering any questions that the LPs may have about um, any aspect of this facility. So I think in, in the sort of um, uh, the, the DNA and the fabric of NAV-based facilities, that thing that that necessity of speaking with the LPs is is built in and it's there and it seems to 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 give rise to those conversations at an early stage. Uh, it's it's been very heartening to see that 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 type of uh, thinking and, and and action is also uh, extending to the capital core line. I still have to though, I must admit, and again, maybe this is my own personal experience, I still have to actually see NLP proactively engaging with the GP and asking them pointed questions about their overall arrangements with respect to their fund financing arrangements. Maybe maybe we as advisors need to engage a little bit more with LPs and bring to their attention uh, the the useful role uh, that we can play in that process. Yeah, we, we definitely have seen that. And I think it's really playing through into the, the fund documents that we're seeing. I think if you look back, you know, 10 years ago, fund documents, yeah. at least in Europe, were, were pretty lacking when it came to envisaging you know fund finance products and, and everything that goes with them including the security and and now they are considerably better much more sophisticated contain all the things we'd like them to contain certainly from a capital call perspective but there is there there are we're also seeing very frequently side letters which mm -hmm. deal with those provisions but by by amending them in certain ways so you know, there may be particular requirements around drawdown notice. So I think there is there is definitely more of a focus from investors on these products. I think, though, yeah. where we need to go now is is to make sure that those same types of um, provisions extend to NAV facilities because we've had so many occasions where you know that the fund documents don't quite envisage and probably not deliberately what mm -hmm. the fund is is looking to do. So I'm really hoping we're going to see some progress. Uh, from that perspective, considering how many NAV deals we're now doing, I I couldn't agree more. I think um, you know certainly when it comes to LPAs and when it comes to fund um, constitutional documentation, I think just that the incorporating the the prospects of a, a NAV facility being implemented or preferred equity, uh, I think that's certainly uh, advisable. And I should imagine you know again you're you're uh, you know you're in a much better position to to evaluate this than, uh, than an advisor like, um, like ourselves. But uh, I think uh, certainly going forward, we will see a lot more by way of disclosure of a potential use of these types of facilities. I mean, in that respect, one can almost kind of um, you know, go back to, to the days when uh, hedge fund term uh, facilities were, were the big thing. And uh, gosh, that's now um, before the GFC. Uh, and I remember, I mean, you know, leading into sort of 2006, 2007, when uh, term financing facilities became fairly popular, um, certainly as tools in fund of hedge funds and indeed for some multi-strategy funds as well. We did see the offering memorandums and the PPMs of those funds actually refer to a range of uh, debt instruments, including uh, fund finance lines that may be utilized by those particular borrowers. So, so I think the private equity and private debt industries in due course will get to that point in time, uh, whether it's um, whether it, it happens fast enough, enough I guess, is, is, remains to be seen. I think that's where you very rightly pointed out that we've actually seen a, 
uh, a great volume of this type of business over the last three to four years. Uh, and perhaps the documentation has not quite yet uh, uh, kept pace with, uh, uh, with that growing volume. Kiza, as ever, I could talk to you for, for hours, but um, I wanted to close by asking you what you think we'll see for the rest of 2021 from a, a fund finance perspective. I think that the consensus is that we've had one of, if not the busiest Q1 across the industry. How do you see the rest of 2021 playing out? What do you think will be the key themes and developments? Right. So, um uh, I just want to make sure that I don't jinx myself by saying something and then uh, then experiencing the opposite of that <laughs> happening. Uh, but you know, with, with that said, I think um, you know, just if, if we look at our own business and, and extrapolate from that, uh, the pipeline uh, uh, is very strong. I think asset class wise, um, right now, the types of transactions working on they span the gamut of the strategies so private equity, private debt. Uh, hedge funds, uh, real estate, and infrastructure. Um, so uh, a broad range of asset classes that are um, using these uh, um, facilities, both capital call as well as NAV-based uh, facilities in order to meet a range of portfolio objectives. I think that will continue. Uh, and, and you've rightly pointed out that um, certainly anecdotally, it seems like everybody's been extremely busy uh, with a range of transactions, um, certainly for the last couple of quarters. Um, so in terms of, I guess, the broader trends, I mean, clearly the private funds industry continues to grow. Um, and you know, there's a lot of capital coming in. And as that capital comes in, it'll just provide a natural, um, uh, a natural sort of uh, tailwind, if you will, uh, to the use of fund finance solutions. And so I expect the fund finance industry, which it has a great track record of adapting itself to meet client requirements. Um, I think it'll continue doing that for the rest of the year. Uh, as you said, innovation, um, both on the part of uh, the non-bank uh, lenders, but also on the part of those banks that believe that they need to innovate and to keep up with uh, the changing demands of their clients. I think that'll be a great driver of continued volume in this space. Um, perhaps there will be a greater appreciation of risk on the lender side um, at the risk of generalizing, uh, perhaps, um, uh, you know, uh, before before the onset of the crisis, perhaps there's a little bit of a feeling that um, uh, certainly on the capital call side that this was a, a very, very safe, quote unquote, business uh, and almost uh, um, almost uh, free money, if you will, if I can be a little bit uh, facetious about uh, using that term. Um, but in reality, um, as, as recent events in some pockets of this industry have shown us, I think there's uh, work to be done and people need to appreciate the risk that can reside uh, in different parts of the system. And so I expect lenders to continue to be vigilant with respect to the nature and the types of transactions they work on and the counterparties uh, that they um, uh, face off against. Uh, and ultimately, I believe that there will be a growing familiarity on the part of investors and LPs with respect to, to the different solution sets uh, that are out there. Uh, and if uh, us as uh, advisors can help both uh, the lending community uh, with respect to uh, their evaluation uh, and their connectivity to the different types of clients and with respect to the different types of transactions, and particularly the borrower community, which obviously is, is our client base, uh, insofar as 
the educational side is concerned, as well as ensuring that they end up doing business with lenders who are right for them at that particular point in time, given their business strategy, uh, then certainly we'd feel like we'd, uh, we've, we've done uh, uh, our job well. Kiza, thank you so much. That's been really interesting and insightful. And um, it, it still very much feels like there's a lot of evolution and growth left in our market. So thank you so much for your time. Great to speak to you. The material and information contained in the podcast is for general informational purposes only. Any use of the audio within this podcast without the express consent of Cadwallader is prohibited. Quotes from this podcast may not be used without the express permission of the speaker.